We'll be reading from Romans 10 this morning. And one of the lines that stands out in this passage is that we can come to Christ and we will not be put to shame. And I'm reminded of that phrase as we look around this room, right? It is African American History Month. We all bear some shame in this country, right? And you wonder sometimes with the cycle of news, where is our hope? It's here. It's in the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to hear today. Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in me will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm blessed to be standing up here with you this morning. I want to rush to express my appreciation to Gabe and to Tyler for this opportunity. I've been here for a little over a month now, almost a a month and a half and uh, I have learned a lot. My role thus far has really just been to be a sponge, to soak up everything that's going on around me. And as I said, I've learned a lot. Um, And as we begin our time together, I thought I would start by sharing with you what I've learned from Gabe and Tyler. And this should be fun for us. It might not be fun for them. And thankfully, they're not in the room right now. Gabe's over in a meeting. So, and Tyler's gone for the weekend. So we can just, uh, we can actually take 30 minutes and just share Gabe and Tyler's stories if we wanted to do that. But I have learned that it is humanly possible to achieve great feats of human endurance while still being a pastor, and I've learned that from Gabe. Uh, Gabe wakes up at unfathomable hours every morning, and he does this consistently every morning, and he he doesn't take a nap. He's productive throughout the whole day, and he's an inspiration to me. And from Tyler, I have received an education in Broadway show tunes. And yeah, that's been really fun. And I've also learned that no matter how busy you are, it's no excuse. It's possible to be dressed perfectly every day of the week. So that's really what I've learned in my residency thus far. So the next time that I'm up here, hopefully I'll be able to report back to you what else I've learned. Um, I've also heard that in a resident's first sermon, there's an obligatory family photo that has to be shared. So here you go. This is my two-person family. Uh, That is my bride, Jacqueline. She is the smartest woman I know, and she also happens to be the prettiest girl in the whole wide world. And that is when we were engaged. Uh, Jacqueline is a trooper. Um, She moved from Alaska for me. Uh, We lived in Chicago before this, and very recently, obviously, moved to Kansas City. So she has followed me, and I am, God has richly blessed me with her. I am very thankful to God for her. So our theme this series is a church for Monday. And if we're not careful, we can let the commitments and stresses of Monday overtake our passion for Jesus and for his gospel. 
And this morning, I want to encourage you to remember that which was your first love and to preach it. The gospel has been on the move for 2,000 years. And regardless of whether or not you grew up in a Christian home, and maybe that, was, that is some of you this morning, the gospel found you. It came to you from someone somewhere. And if you're, you don't think you have heard the gospel yet this morning, um, well, you will in the next 30 minutes. So I want to title our text and then our 30 minutes together, Good News is Better When It's Told. I want to talk about good news being better when it's told. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Father, may we hear your voice for your glory and for our good. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. The first and most pressing duty of the church is to cause all men and women to hear the gospel. A guy named Charles Hodge said that. He was head of Princeton Theological Seminary and a renowned theologian. And Paul, in effect, says something similar in our scripture this morning. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And this church, these Christians, they were persecuted. They were diverse. And Rome was not an easy city to be recognized as a Christian. And It was much harder uh, to even share one's faith in Rome, one's Christian faith, faith, that is. And this church, um, well, I just lost my place, thanks. Uh, Paul argues three things in this text. The gospel is good news for all people, the gospel is good news for all of life, and the gospel is good news to be shared. But I don't want to just tell you about it, I want to show you. So would you all turn with your Bibles or turn in your Bibles to Romans 10. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to pull one out on your phone or to go grab one in the back. We have a few left over. You will need it this morning. They decided to give a guy fresh out of seminary, Romans 10, to preach. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into scripture this morning. Um, that's all I know how to do, people. That's how I was trained. So um, I'm excited for this. So verse 10, Romans 10, verse 10 and 11. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In these verses, Paul is not so much laying out a formula for salvation as he is just explaining the natural, logical order of faith. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth are not separate processes. They're interchangeable realities. So to believe with your heart is to commit yourself to the deepest level at what has been revealed to you and at what, ha- what you have experienced. And confession is just giving expression in words to that conviction. Telling others about Jesus is just the logical deduction of belief in the gospel. So let me say it another way. It's possible to say things and not really believe them, but it's possible to believe something. It's not possible to believe something and never really say anything about it. I'll say that again. It's possible to say something and to not really believe it. It's not possible to believe something and never really say anything about it. We naturally talk about things that we believe in and are impressed with. And I have an example for you. In one of my first meetings here, so really early on in my time here, I'm still early on, really early on in my time here, I was meeting with Gabe and Jeff and Becky Lee. And it was a really fun meeting. We met for two hours. 
And as the time was winding down, we started talking about other things. And when you get Gabe and Jeff in a room together, we talk about running. And it was actually fun. And Jeff looks at me and he says, Ben, what do you do to exercise? And, um, and so I, you know, you, you haven't learned this about me yet. And I'm, hopefully I'll keep your trust. But I CrossFit. So um, I'm a CrossFitter, yes. And I, I have a bro side to me. And so I told Jeff, I was like, I was like Jeff, I CrossFit. And he looks at me and he goes, hold on, you just, you're a CrossFitter and you just went two hours without talking about CrossFit? That is like the first time ever. And yeah, CrossFit bros love to talk about CrossFit. And we naturally talk about things that we believe in and are impressed with, right? And the gospel is something to be believed at the deepest level. And we're just giving, when we share our faith, we're just giving words to that conviction. We're expressing that conviction. So that's how Paul can say, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Look with me at verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And Lori did a great job reading this this morning. And I want to actually substitute a word out for shame, these two words in the original language are interchangeable here in this context. So, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. And what Paul is saying, this reminded me of a few weeks ago when Tyler was talking about seeing our lives in the gospel story or in the biblical story. Paul is saying here, we see our lives in the gospel story. And for those of us who believe the gospel and the gospel story is our story, we're recipients and preachers of the gospel, that gospel will not let us down. Our hope is in something that is ultimately true. He's saying that in which we put our hope will not be in vain. Our hope is in something that is ultimately true. The good news of the gospel is that it will not let us down. Our hope is in something that is ultimately true. The gospel does not disappoint. And so he continues on in verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And this is Paul's way of saying the gospel is good news for all people. The gospel is good news for all people. Let me remind you that in verse 10, we just talked about it, Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ is easily accessible. One simply needs to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth and they will be saved. And if you look at the verses prior to verse 10, so verses 6 through 8, Paul says some interesting things. In verse 6, he says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Paul is saying here that you don't have to go up to heaven to bring Jesus down to you. You don't have to descend to the depths of hell to bring Jesus near. No, don't make it more complicated than what it needs to be. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. It's simple. When Jesus saves you, your, the gospel story becomes your story. And here it gets even better. Not only is Jesus easily accept, accessible, but he is equally accessible. Paul places the emphasis on all twice. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Paul declares that there is nothing that can disqualify someone from being saved based on their background, 
status, heritage, or culture. There is nothing. And the gospel is good news for all people. And that, my friends, is good news for us. Because that means that you are no longer defined by your shame nor your fame, your sin nor your success, your regrets nor your resume. When the gospel story is your story, what is the most defining characteristic of your life is what God says about you. And God calls you a beloved child and Jesus calls you sister and brother. The gospel is equally and easily accessible. And the only thing that keeps us from God's grace is our own defiance and disbelief. So you might have shame this morning, but there is no shame too great for God. And you might be carrying burdens. There is no burden too big for God. And that is good news. And that is for all people. The gospel is also good news for all of life. The gospel is good news for all of life. Look with me at verse 13. In the first service, I said, look at me. And I didn't mean to say that. Look with me at uh, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All of our verses begin with four this morning. You might have noticed that. If you look at verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. In verse 11, for the scripture says, in verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's almost as if with the preceding verses, Paul is creating a crescendo here that climaxes with verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we were doing more of an extensive look at Paul's argument here, we would see that he is building up for a chapter and a half of what he has to say in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you'll notice too that the scripture has quotes around this. So starting with everyone and ending with save, there are quotation marks in your Bible. And that's because Paul is picking out words from the prophet Joel, that Joel in the Old Testament spoke about Yahweh, Israel's God, and Paul is ascribing them to Jesus. And it's interesting because Peter in Acts 2 at Pentecost takes the exact same verse from Joel and ascribes it to Jesus. And that in Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples. So what does that mean for us? It means that to be saved, one needs to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation depends upon calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of all. But I don't think Paul is actually just talking about a one-time event here. Don't get me wrong. I think that there is a moment when people need to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ and confess with their mouth that he is Savior. But I think Paul is getting at a very basic posture here. We're to ask the question, what is, what is our posture towards God? Do we recognize that we have need for him and does our, the recognition of our need make us call upon the name of the Lord? As Christians, we should be daily calling upon the name of the Lord. And while I was in college, it was my junior year, and I was going through a difficult time and based on a number of different circumstances. It was a difficult time. And because I was a young guy, I didn't know where to turn or to whom to turn. 
And it was God's providence, but I stumbled across this hymn, and it was written by Annie Johnston Flint. It's called He Giveth More Grace. And Annie had arthritis her entire life. She was bedridden her whole life. She could hardly move a joint. Uh, she was in a lot of pain. And because she was bedridden her whole life, she had sores all over her body. And they would try to pack her bed with pillows to make her more comfortable. She just lived in excruciating pain. And yet she penned these unbelievable words. He giveth more grace when our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That is a woman who knows what it's like to call upon the name of the Lord and receive from him the riches that he bestows on his children, grace and peace and mercy. Some of you this morning are in a time of need. It's been a tough season. Call upon the name of the Lord. And some of us in here didn't know that we needed to call upon the name of Jesus. But you might have known something was wrong, something was missing. Call upon the name of the Lord. You know now. And some of us in here are comfortable. Life's been okay. This last week at age three, it's the men's group that meets at 6.30 a.m. in the mornings, Wednesday mornings. And we were talking about the habit of self-reflection. And one guy astutely pointed out, he said, I think the great enemy to self-reflection is comfort. And I would like to add that I think the great enemy to calling on the name of the Lord, to recognizing our need, can be comfort. Sometimes we don't recognize that we need to call upon the name of the Lord. But in Jesus, when Jesus' very first teaching in the Gospel of Matthew so Matthew begins chapters 1 through 4. We get a little bit of Jesus. He's moving around Galilee, and he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But then in chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount begins. And this is the first real teaching we have of Jesus, right? And he is God coming to earth, the incarnate God. And he sits down. It says that he sits down and he, on a mountainside, and he teaches his disciples. And the first words that he shares with them, the first teaching are the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitude that he shares with them is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? Poor in spirit means destitute in spirit. Means blessed are those who know that they have need for me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We must recognize that we need God. We need to daily be calling upon him and some of us, we check off all the Christian boxes, and yet it has been a while since we've called upon the name of the Lord. Call upon Jesus. We need him. All right. So the gospel is good news for all people. It's good news for all of life, and at last, it's good news to be shared. The gospel is good news to be shared. We've come to our final two verses. I'll read them for us. Verses 14 and 15, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what I want to do is to turn this passage on its head, and I'm going to read it in reverse. And that means I'm just going to read the sentences in reverse. So I'm going to start with the beginning of chapter, or with the beginning of verse 15, and you can follow along in your Bibles if you would like. How are they to preach unless they are sent? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have, of whom they have never heard? And how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see, we are sent, and we are sent to preach. And it's by our preaching that people hear, and it's by hearing that they come to believe, and it's by believing that we call or they call. In order for people to believe, we must share the good news. And what Paul is getting at here is that we are heralds. We are sent to preach. There is no hearing without heralds. I love that phrase. There's no hearing without heralds. Heralds in Paul's day, herald might be a new term for you. Heralds were people sent to announce a message. And the message never began with the messenger. They were always given a message to relay. So Paul continues on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And this is an Old Testament reference to Israel when they were exiled in Babylon. And messengers came to them to tell them that they could go home. They were free. And the gospel message is one of freedom. And that's why Paul is quoting that here. These heralds has a message of freedom. So their feet weren't particularly beautiful. Um, they probably were dirty because they traveled by foot. And they were most likely tired, but they had a message of freedom. And many of us, we struggle to understand that we are heralds, uh, that we are indeed sent to proclaim the gospel message. But I think even more, we struggle to understand that we are equipped, struggle to feel like we are equipped to share the gospel message. And I relate to this because I have my own fears and anxieties and questions when it comes to sharing the gospel. I think that this is something that we can all grow in together. And so I want to dedicate the rest of our time together to that end. I think we, I want to encourage us all that you are right now equipped to share the gospel. And there are two tools that you have in your toolkit that you might not know about. And I don't want these to sound like overly simplistic and trite, but I really think that they will help us share the gospel. So first, the first tool you have in your toolkit is you have a story that people want to hear. Yes, your non-Christian friends want to hear your story. And I can say that because I have a statistic. Actually, Lifeway just recently came out with some statistics, and you can put that up on the screen. You can see it behind me. It says 70, Lifeway Research says 79% of non-Christians say that if a friend really values their faith, I don't really mind if they talk about it. That's eight out of 10 people. Eight out of 10 people who are non-Christian friends of yours, they're open to hearing what you have to say. I think many of us, we're afraid that people just don't want to hear what we have to say, so we keep it to ourselves. Well, they actually don't mind. We can be confident that we have a story that people want to listen to. And it's commonly taught in the Christian evangelism world that people need 10 spiritual conversations to come to faith in Jesus. So you might be conversation number one, or you might be spiritual conversation number 10, or any number in between. 
but you can be a link in that chain of spiritual conversations to share the gospel. And when you tell your story, what should be the content of your sharing? Well, I think it should be your faith story. And people probably don't mind hearing how you came to faith. But really what they want to know is what has Jesus done for you? How has he changed you? What is the life of faith like for you? So know your story. Maybe he's given you a hope for the future when there was no hope. Maybe he's given you peace when before you were just anxious. Maybe he's lifted burdens or regrets off of you and replaced them with his grace. You have a story that people want to hear and tell it. By telling it, you are heralding the gospel. And second, the second tool we have in our toolkit is to listen to how the gospel meets other people's stories. When other people are sharing their stories with you, whether it's a coworker, friend, family member, listen to the places where Jesus can meet them. Are they lonely, depressed, anxious, trapped in unhealthy patterns, in a bad relationship, feeling purposeless? How can the gospel meet them? Andy Stanley, he's a pastor in Atlanta, he has some really good tips here. He says, listen for the knots, not from here, not prepared for this, not going well. This is an exhaustive list, of course, but this is, this, these are just things that we can be paying attention to. It helps us figure out where the person is and how the gospel can meet them. Listen and ask questions. Sharing the gospel is much less about declarative statements like, you are a sinner and you need to repent. And it's more about building relationship, asking questions, listening, seeing the nooks and crannies of a person's life and where, where the gospel can meet them. And there might be a time to declare a definitive truth, but people need to be listened to and loved. And when I shared this manuscript with my sister, I shared my sermon with my sister yesterday, this is a bonus point, but she didn't send me uh, this kind of uh, experiment that's going on or this research, but she told me that some scientists are doing some research on uh, they can't distinguish, people can't distinguish between when they're listened to and when they're loved. When they're listened to, they feel loved. Like the overlap is so much. So to listen to someone is really to love them. So when we listen to people and we ask them questions of their, about their lives, they're feeling loved by us. We're building a relationship. So now is the time I'm going to address the response cards that you have in your seat uh, that you, you came in and you picked it off your seat this morning and Shannon told you a little bit about it. So I want to encourage those of you who are followers of Jesus to, have, to write one or two names on that list or on that response card and have a spiritual conversation with someone this week. And that could be a coworker that you take to lunch. That could be a friend that you invite to coffee and just listen to them. Hear their story. Ask questions about their life. And perhaps you will have the opportunity to share your own faith story. And you can be one link in those 10 conversations. And if you're new this morning to our church, or if today was the first time that you heard the gospel message, a pastor would love to talk with you. Gabe or I, after the service, we would love to talk with you. There's a number of different avenues for this. You can talk with us after the service, or you can write your name on that response card. You can 
write your email or your phone number next to it and place it back in the gifts and offerings box back there by the coffee. And we'll reach out to you this week. We'd love to do that. So in our final moments together, I want to return to the last part of verse 15, and I'll read it for us. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel message is one of freedom. And similar to the Old Testament heralds, our feet are dirty. And most certainly, we are often tired. But when people hear our message, what do you think that they will hear? They'll hear about righteousness and grace, mercy and justice, God's peace and God's provision. They'll hear about freedom. And I hope that this morning you hear God's voice asking you what he asked Isaiah. Whom shall I send? And whom shall go for us? And I hope that you respond with Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Good news is better when it's told. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, we are so grateful for the presence of your spirit here with us. Father, I ask that we would have eyes to see what you are already doing in the lives of people around us. Help us by your spirit to partner with that work that you are already doing. We ask for boldness and for courage and for confidence in you that you would make our conversations fruitful. Pray that we are salt and light for Kansas City. And I thank you for these people, Lord. For those who are in need, I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you give them hope and peace? Be near to them and comfort them. And I pray that by your spirit, you would minister to each of us personally. Thank you for your gospel and the invitation to join your story, the story of reconciliation and peace and righteousness and grace that you are writing in the world today. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.